and welcome to Eye on Oakland. I'm Chuck Moss, your host, coming to you through the magic of, well, it's not Zoom, it's StreamYard, but it's the same thing. We're going remote. But, uh, you know, we've got a great guest for you, one of our favorite people, Mark Nikita, former mayor of Birmingham and president of FAIA, president of Archive DI, Archive TS. And uh, let's uh, welcome back. But I want to know what is FAIA and what is Archive DS? Ah, very good. You're going old school. We're going to do an overview. Uh, yeah. but, uh, I'll, I'll start with my firm. Archive DS is Archive Design Studio. We're architects and urban designers. I co-founded the firm back in the early 90s, located in downtown Detroit. And we've been part of the whole renaissance of Detroit over the last uh, three decades. And uh, our firm does arch architecture and urban design and uh, master planning and what we call city building. Uh, so that's a summary of archive and i have a few few partners and we uh we work in the core of detroit and we also have a base in toronto as well um faia is a national organization or national part of the organization of the american institute of architects the aia which i'm a member and i was the president of the detroit chapter uh, a few years back uh f is fellowship uh the f is a a very distinctive um, position where an FAIA is the fellow of the American Institute of Architects. Only 3% of the 94, 90 plus thousand architects in the country are fellows. Uh, and I can tell you, it's not easy to become a fellow, but I am very, very pleased and uh, humbled to be elevated to that level by way of the, all the work that I've done over, over my career. So I'm among a, a very nice, uh, very, very elite group, many of which um, friends that you know. Um, yes, uh, in the Birmingham area, like Victor Soroki and Alan Cobb and a number of others. So, um, you know, a few fellows, but uh, but but they're uh, an interesting group and I'm very glad to be part of it. I can imagine. Now, you used you used to be a major voice for Detroit redevelopment and recovery. And now you're an international. You, you were called the maniacal optimist about Detroit. But its recovery, as far as I can see, has exceeded even your most maniacal ravings. Uh, so the question is, uh, you're an international uh, expert on, on urbanism. One obsession that I, I like, I get these, you know, what can I say, is the idea of, uh, for want of a better term, React adaptive reuse, which is repurposing buildings. I've seen, you know, here in Birmingham, you know, we go through sessions where the, you know, there's lots of construction and they're demoing lots of stuff that maybe they shouldn't be demoing them. They should repurpose buildings for other stuff. You know, we lose the built environment, mm -hmm. uh, you know, rehab, not demo. What, what do you, is that, is that like valid or am I just full of it? <laughs> am I well, more full of it than I ever am? Well, yeah, let's not get into uh, that. I, you know, I think we could talk about that. But uh, <laughs> I would say it's you're not off base by way of uh, promoting the idea. Um, for, for those who are very interested in, uh, in green building, I mean, there's a lot of talk about green building and sustainability and, and those things uh, in today's world. Uh, we like to say that the greenest building is the one that's already built. Uh, which means that if you can repurpose an existing building, it's the greenest way to be sustainable, to be concerned about your resources and all of those things. So uh, adaptive reuse is a great way to do that. Clearly, over the course of decades, you know, in a in hundred years, in many cases, our buildings 
are you know over a hundred years in North America and Europe they're they're two three four hundred years old and then some some even thousands of years old like uh, you know the the, the uh, Pantheon and Parthenon and these places anyway the uh, the opportunity for a building to be rebuilt with something another use is really a great thing and there's some very intriguing things that come out of that uh, when you can do it and it's industrial to residential or or uh, commercial to office or or maybe to recreational or there's all kinds of different sort of transformations there's there's commercial buildings that have become schools that become churches all kinds of interesting things so that is a great way to city build as we like to say um, cities are organic which means they sort of grow obviously naturally and part of that natural growth is this idea of utilizing your resources in a different way and allowing it to mature. Uh, my firm has done a number of these projects. One, one well-known one downtown on Canfield Street is the Canfield Lofts, which, which was one of my projects. And one of our projects are uh, adaptive reuse, a 1920s industrial building, which is now 35 lofts in retail. And we added a third floor. Um, we also did the Baltimore Station up the street, which is another adaptive reuse and a number of other projects of that sort. So there are a lot of uh, examples of that in Detroit. A lot of examples, even here in Birmingham uh, at the rail district, some adaptive reuse buildings. So it's a great, I mean, the Eaton Street uh, station, the train station is adaptive reuse. And that's a great example as well. So so it's, it's, a, it's a great, great way to city build. And we strongly advocate for that. And, uh, and there's, in the outcome, oftentimes is very, very intriguing and a great asset to the community. Well, our, our area has this rich architectural heritage, you know, the, the built environment, if you want to call it that, uh, you know, there's a lot that's decayed, but a lot that's been saved is fabulous. And the, uh, I don't know what we call it, the Panera, the Panera, the, the whatever the building yeah. is at uh, Old Woodward and Maple that, that they saved. Mm -hmm. And uh, that is just fabulous. Yeah. And, you know, it, a few years ago, they would have just blown it and put something new in. So, now that, just to be clear, that is actually more of a restoration project and less of an adaptive reuse because it was originally a commercial office uh, type of building. And now it's been essentially reestablished as, as it was historically, uh, meaning restored back to what it was and now uh, repurposed for the future. So a little different than adaptive reuse, but uh, more of a preservation type project. But clearly a phenomenal uh, um, project and redo, and it, it looks awesome, and it's a great asset for the city now. Well, you know, they, they saved the book Cadillac, the downtown structures, mm -hmm. uh, uh, the Metropolitan Building, you know, that's almost just caddy, just around the corner from the opera I know a lot about. And there, was, yeah. there were trees growing in it, and now it's got that fabulous roof, rooftop bar, I mean, that you yep. save that stuff. And I know there's, you know, like the old Packard plant that just demolition by neglect, but there's so much else there. They're saving industrial stuff. Uh, I just hate to see us demo everything. I love cities being dynamic, but mm -hmm. you have to, you know, just blow everything. And in the neighborhoods too. I mean, I've, you know, I, I saw a fabulous little, just a little building, little, little neighborhood house that they've, re they've rehabbed instead of just knocking it. Uh, Love to know if we can somehow encourage that without just hobbling all the development with a whole bunch of regulations that make it impossible for anybody to build anything, and then we get left in the dust. How would one incentivize that other than, you know, 
coming in and becoming the the the, the design police. Right. It's a it's a very uh, interesting and concerning kind of uh, mix. We we like to see investment in community. We like to see. Uh, houses upgraded so that they address some of the current interests and needs of of, uh, of the buyers so that you can encourage people to come and, and and invest and move to your city but as well we don't want to lose the character and the and the fabric of our of our uh, especially our more traditional neighborhoods and in historic cities like uh, like Birmingham is so it's an interesting and problematic sort of balance of how much do you allow for you know either tear down or renovation and how much do you preserve? It's very difficult, and of course, as you know, um, legally concerning and difficult to slap a moratorium on development, and it's also very difficult to um, increase your uh, your restrictions to the point where it creates a, uh, a a property restriction on on your on your own property, so that you can't do certain things. I mean, that's very unpopular and difficult to put in place. So. So the, the alternative to, to your point is, is how can we then, instead of a, you know, it's sort of a carrot and stick idea, instead of the stick sort of mandating that we create a moratorium, we can't do any development or enhancement of, of, of historic properties or older properties, which one do we select? Which ones don't we select? It gets very complicated and it becomes a legal issue. And oftentimes those things will end up in court and become a real problem. So um, the alternative is how can we create more of a carrot? Than the stick, and and that's uh, incentives, um, or maybe awareness, and maybe it's part part partly. Um, and one of the approaches that we've taken over the years is is bringing more uh, awareness to the potential of an older older property, so that you can see the character come out with a renovation, or an addition, or a rehab, or an enhancement of some sort. So in the end, you have something that is actually a real asset. And it's unique. It's not just another, you know, new house that was built on a property that was torn down. But it's it's totally unique. A house that's been added onto that has character from old, but maybe some new things. I mean, I think those are those are great houses and great assets. I have one myself. I have a I have a nearly century old house that I've added onto a couple of times and renovated and. And uh, and added uh, new elements like the one I'm sitting in now, which is a a, a loft studio above my garage, which is brand new. But I but I have a hundred hundred year old house forty feet away that has historic elements that go back to 1924. So those are in and my house would be a hundred percent unique. There's absolutely no other house like it because it has this sort of eclectic growth and organic growth that, that has happened over the years. Those things, I think the more we bring awareness and the opportunity that you can have the current day, great things that you need in a market rate house or a market type house, a house that's up to date by today's standards, but still has the character and uniqueness of a historic property. I think more we can raise awareness to that and bring attention to that and do that as opposed to tear down and scrape it and, and build new. I think the more um, we can save our neighborhoods, uh, the character and all that. And people have to be aware that that's an option. And that's a real option. You mean that's not a 1920s library there? That's it. No, certainly this is, looks. This looks is a, a 15 year old library. My my old library is in the house, which is actually a 1920s library. Well, <laughs> I, have, is, I have multiple we're, libraries. We're sitting in an, in an adapted uh, reuse of the garage. The garage, uh, right? In our house, mm -hmm. uh, which was built in 1926. So we will be hitting the 100 year mark uh, very soon as well. Yes, I'm just ahead uh, of you. 
Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Uh, well, you know, I, I, all I can think of is how about a yearly honors? I mean, you know, Birmingham, whatever. I mean, I don't know who would do it in the city. I don't know. I didn't see that. Well, this brings the point of awareness, you know, really ex, uh, j- just un- uncovering those gems that are there, the kind of houses that we're talking about, the kind of houses that are that have lived this century and and really have become great viable places for people to live in and 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 celebrating them which is, I think, what you're getting at is this idea of bringing recognition to the greatness of the historic properties and letting people know that you can have a great kitchen and a great living room and and all the sort of assets of today in a 100-year-old house and still live a decent life. (laughs) Who would we do that? I mean, who would do I mean, now I'm just wondering. I mean, uh, in the old days, we had things called newspapers that might (laughs) be interested in that, but... uh... I don't know. Maybe Dave Hohendorf at downtown. Maybe I don't know. It was advertisers like that. Who knows? Uh, I don't know if I'm. I don't know if I'm in good with him right now or not. But the thing is, is that uh, is that uh, I just like the idea of incentivizing so that it isn't just the default is oh look old house knock down build new. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's destructive to the fabric. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm with you. Uh, for one thing, I think it would be a taking legally to just tell people you know start put, you know, take away their property values. But really, I, I like the idea of the, of, you know, once again, reusing it. I mean, you have neighborhoods and cities in downtown uh, Europe that uh, are hundreds of years old. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. You know, the, ones that, the ones that didn't get urban renewal in the 1940s, uh, but like uh, London. Uh, so anyway, uh, we're going to take a break here. We're talking with Mark Nikita, F-A-I-A, who's the president of Archive DS, former mayor of Birmingham, in which uh, many of your theories were put into place in, in uh, your years there. And geez, maybe we can still use you. Um, I, Chuck Moss, and don't go away. We'll be right back here on Ion Oakland. Welcome back to Eye on Oakland. Chuck Moss, your host, coming here through the magic of the remote world. And our guest is Mark Nikita, FAIA, former mayor of Birmingham, president of the Archive DS, uh, sort of the expert, inter- now, international expert now on urbanism and uh, urban uh, restoration. You were the uh, called the maniacal optimist about Detroit, and now it turns out you... Yeah, you know, you were you you weren't even seeing the half of it compared to what it is now, and it is uh, it has certainly lived up to uh, any you know anything that the most maniacal optimist would have wanted. So, but uh, we were you know we're talking since here we are not in studio, uh, we're doing it remote. So are a lot of people. I have a question about uh, we were talking about reuse before, but the adaptation of office property to the post-COVID post. Wuhan, uh, uh, can world, uh, you know, is uh, we were looking, I was looking at a year or so ago that what are we going to do with all the office? Is that still an issue or are people coming back or how's that going? Well, I have a very uh, distinctive perspective on that, that I think, uh, you know, a number of people share. And it was actually solidified recently when I was at the, uh, the Birmingham Bloomfield Chamber breakfast just, uh, I think a week ago or something uh, that they, they had a uh, they had a couple of uh, a couple of people there talking about the future of office and the future of 
of our businesses and and how the uh, the you know the, it was one of those economic forecast forecast things. I think you were there. Um, and and we what we saw was you know a number of comments about the office market and where it's going and really it just solidified my my view on on where it's going so I think my view is getting a little bit clearer and I think aligned with what what what's actually happening and what I what I think is is going to happen is that we're going to have clearly a reduction in the overall amount of office space that we're using in say the the metro region but this is true of other metros as well it's not has nothing really to do with Detroit any more than it does, you know, Cleveland and Chicago and any other city. So this is a this is a general reduction that will likely happen. Um, just because I think there, there are more and more, there's going to be a hybrid of businesses that are going to have some level of on-site, some level of uh, of virtual work, and and some need that'll be a bit less than what they had. But I think that the idea that we're going to get rid of office is not really, in my mind, going to happen. Uh, I also think that there are going to be sort of winners and losers of office market uh, locations. I I think, and of course, I'm a bit biased being an urbanist and a person that loves and believes that the best kind of environment is a mixed-use, walkable, pedestrian-oriented environment like downtown Birmingham or downtown Royal Oak or downtown Ferndale or or downtown Plymouth, or Northville, or Farmington, or downtown Detroit. Or downtown Detroit. I was leaving the best for last. Um, the big, the big downtown Detroit, of course, where my office is, and I have a long-term interest in uh, in seeing it successful. Those are great places, and they not only are places great to work, and I've worked my entire career in those environments, but they have livable opportunities, places where you can live close to offices. They have obviously entertainment, food, cafes, shops, restaurants, what have you, and and uh, recreation, and all those things. Those are great places to work. Increasingly, younger people want to be in those places. The younger workforce wants to be in a downtown Detroit. They want to be in a downtown Royal Oak or Birmingham. And what I'm hearing from some of the landlords in Birmingham, for example, is that they want they are seeing a very strong interest in the office market to some degree where they have waiting lists for the offices that are wanting to move into Birmingham which actually have opportunities now where there's been some juggling of spaces some smaller spaces but then there's room for more people to come in and more offices or more businesses so i think that the winners are going to be these office buildings in in these walkable pedestrian urban environments like i mentioned i think the losers are going to be offices in places that aren't connected to things that are on highways that are surrounded by parking lots that are in suburbs that don't have the synergy of live and work and play they don't have the pedestrianization uh as my friend jim kunstler likes to say there's no there there um and those places, I think, are going to struggle. And 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 what 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 you're getting at with what do we do with office buildings that might start to lose their luster is we're going to see adaptive reuse, uh, which some of them that will go. But I don't think it's necessarily going to go to office. We're already seeing the building on Northwestern Highway, the Plant Moran building, was which was a Class A building when it was built, and it was the headquarters, the Detroit headquarters of Plant Moran. It's now going to be a storage facility. They're going to convert it. This was in Crane's Detroit business uh, a couple months ago. They're going to turn that three-story building into a storage, you know, a storage facility. I mean, that's a Class A building, but it's not in a location that really brings a lot of interest. And it's a tired building. It needs a lot of investment. 
So this is where that's going. And there are a number of examples of that. And frankly, lastly, I would say the conversion from office to residential, which that seems logical and likely in a lot of cases, and it will be likely in some cases, but it's also a challenge in um, a lot of these buildings because frankly, the building foot footprints, the floor, floor areas and the way they're designed aren't necessarily set up to be residential type buildings simply because of the way that they're laid out. There's a certain way and dimension that you have to use to do residential and it doesn't work always with a lot of different buildings. So those buildings are gonna have to be reused in a different way partially demolished or fully demolished for a redevelopment of a different sort. Well, the downtowns, you know, this is, uh, I think you were the guy, you were the one who said this, uh, when I was asking about this over a year ago, was the downtowns will be okay. The Birmingham, Detroit, you know, Royal Oak. The What about, you know, Troy, Southfield, Bingham Farms, that big complex on Telegraph Road around 13. I don't know what the heck you can do with that other than, you know, offices and, uh, uh, I don't know who, who, why would you want to live there? If it were, you know, you want to convert that, you're still living in a, in, you know, in an asphalt jungle. Uh, it just uh, seems uh, the downtown's great, but the other ones are going to struggle. And so yeah. that's. Yeah. And that, and that is exactly how I'm seeing things turn out. And, you know, we don't really know for sure. So I would just put the, uh, the point out there that this is an evolving issue and is an evolving circumstance. Obviously, the, the COVID situation is very unique, and it's something we haven't dealt with in our lifetime. So we don't really know how this is all going to plan out. But that's where I that's where I originally thought we were going to likely go a year ago when we spoke about this. I've been thinking about this for a while. That's been my take, and it's starting to look like that's where it's going. But I would say that nobody really knows for sure, and it's still kind of up there to see how it'll pan out. Well, the, uh, you know, there's there's one big loser, of course, and that's uh, the malls. The malls are basically gone with the wind, except for Somerset, of course. But uh, even there, the Brooks Brothers is gone and brokenhearted. But uh, the malls, I mean, they were basically, as in my view, they were fake downtowns. They were there when the real downtowns made themselves less attractive there, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, less places for people. And uh, they, you know, they're part of an historic thing. And as the downtowns came back, the malls became less uh, less attractive. And you know, we've seen malls, you know, if you told me 10 years ago, they're going to tear, actually tear down, although Lord knows Northland was ripe for it. Uh, you know, that should have been adaptive reuse, but they didn't do it. Uh, the one uh, out by, uh, you know, out, out by uh, north of 59, was it Miracle Mile or around across from there? That's the Summit gone. Place, right. Yeah, Summit Place. That's mm -hmm. right. That they would just be gone. I can see Oakland Mall going down yeah. uh they're they're just uh they're kind of they're kind of gone with the wind aren't they well i think you know malls have been declining for quite a while now and if you you, you pointed out a few their uh wonderland mall repositioned itself years ago tell 12 mall repositioned itself years ago northville's been declining and has been closed for a long time summit place has been closed for a long time actually i mean many many years so this isn't a recent trend this is a this is an ongoing trend that's been happening now for quite a while, maybe even close to two decades, where we've seen declines. And now we're seeing a number of other uh, malls in the region that are declining. And this is national. This is, you know, there's reports of two to 3,000 malls and probably more now that are uh, either on a, a serious decline or already closed and already being repurposed. Um, this is an area actually that we've been working on 
to try to promote in you know this whole idea of a more mixed use walkable pedestrian oriented environment malls are actually in really good locations generally they're they're usually very accessible meaning they have they're near freeways and major streets and they have a lot of accessibility and they're oftentimes near a lot of other people you know they're around population centers and things so actually really good locations for redevelopment or adaptive reuse we worked um, recently with the Lakeside Mall uh, redevelopment with the city of, of Sterling Heights, and that's a hundred acre parcel where we had come up, came, we came up with a number of approaches of doing adaptive reuse, partial demolition, full demolition to create a mixed use environment that would have live, work and play opportunities, some recreation, some office, of course, retail continuing to some degree residential and other things, all in this hundred acre zone in a very, very high, um, you know, uh, high level location. So we worked with the city there in some of the zoning and rezoning it for this kind of development. And that's actually moving forward with a new owner. And they're, they're going to likely do a very similar thing to what we had envisioned and worked with the city on. Fairlane is now being looked at as something similar uh, you know, Northville's already there with uh, some redevelop Northland. I'm sorry, not Northville. Northland is already there with some new infill development that they're under construction with, and there are others. But at the same time, not all malls are going to be going away. There are certain niche malls like Somerset, like Twelve Oaks, and a few others. I think Great Lakes Crossing, and you know, there's a couple that I think will likely stand uh, longer term, be in good positions going forward because they fill some type of need that's distinctive. But in general, malls are um, are definitely on a change uh, in their strength and a position in the regions that they're in. And it's just part of the evolution of city building. Um, it was kind of, uh, uh, this, many call it the mall experiment, meaning, you know, in 1950, we experimented with this new idea. Uh, it lasted 60, 70 years, and now that experiment is over and we're on to other things. Um, so partially it's because of, um, that it's single use, partially that it was connected very much to, uh, trends at the time and those trends have changed. So there are a lot of things you could, you could argue why they are what they are and what they did, what they did, but, um, it is clearly a changing moment here in this regard. And I, I do think that a lot of these malls are going to find a uh, new life in a very different way by way of a complete redevelopment. That'll probably be an asset for many years to come. Well, you don't need to build a new um, fulfillment center uh, for Amazon, and you've already got the, you know all that all that square feet there. I would think, uh, and the trucks can get in and out. But uh, before we leave, I've got a personal question: um, Are you still riding your scooter? <laughs> I am actually. I love I love my Vespa. Uh, I bought it a few years ago, and and uh, it's a it's a two fifty cc Gran Turismo uh, uh, Vespa, and I absolutely love riding it. I ride it all year round. I do ride it in the winter, um, but on days, obviously, that are not slick slick, and that there are plenty of those in the winter. So you just have to dress appropriately and keep keep warm. But I love driving it. I wasn't sure if I was going to use it as much as I had, did when I bought it. It was part of the reason why I waited to buy it for so long because I didn't think I was going to use it. And then when I finally bought it, I started using it a, a whole lot. And I absolutely love it. Matter of fact, I'm contemplating getting another bike that, uh, you know, we'll see where that goes. But uh, getting well, be careful, getting, especially 
Now, I'm not getting rid of my Vespa. I love the Vespa, but getting a second one. Well, be careful. If you're ever in Midland, Michigan, be careful. Because uh, today my mother turns 95 and she's still driving. Oh, so, okay. <laughs> so when we get to Midland, you'd be real careful. All right. We've been talking with Mark Nikita. Uh, you may remember him as the former mayor of Birmingham, a longtime city commissioner, FAIA, president of Archive DS. Uh, the guy who you're basically were the prophet for uh, for downtown Detroit when everyone else thought you were crazy. Now you were kind of conservative, actually, about that. It's exceeded everyone's expectations. Yeah. All right. Thank you all for joining. I'm Chuck Moss, and we'll see you around here on Ion Oakland.